nerds it's time to suit up and nerd up launching badass rockabilly track now packing multiversal survival kit time to save the world with some wrestling video games movies horror and more launching ans in three two one welcome to the amazing nerd show Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week we're going to be breaking down the third episode of Marvel's What If? And we're also going to be reviewing the horror film The Night House. Plus, we saw the return of CM Punk. And of course, we're going to talk about it in wrestling. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. We don't usually do this, but this is by far the biggest news story this week. Let's go ahead and get into our reactions to finally getting a trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home. Warning potential spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home ahead. You have What's been warned. To what do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. So after waiting what felt like eons, we finally get to rejoice because we got our Spider-Man trailer. And my friend... It was glorious. Yeah, we had gotten rumors last week that it might be coming this week, but it did. It dropped and it was a full trailer, not like any like teasers, no like, you know, zoom camera over the back of Spider-Man or anything no. like that. No, this was everything. <laughs> now, mind you, they are labeling this a teaser, oh, even fuck though off. it's like even though it's like three minutes long, uh -huh. <laughs> but whatever, I'll take it. Um, we did have a potential leak happen. I stayed far away from it as possible because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to watch some grainy ass video with like exactly. halfway done CGI. I'm just going to be patient and wait. I waited that long, so I might as well wait, you know, another however long. And it was only a day, so no big deal. Uh, let's go ahead and get into it. So to start things off, we see repercussions of Mysterio revealing Spider-Man's identity at the end of Far From Home. Uh, MJ and Peter are hanging out on a roof discussing what went down and we see glimpses of what Peter's life is like now with crowds staring at him in the costume and out of the costume. Uh, I mean, there are flashes throughout this trailer of stuff like this. We next see Peter being questioned at a police station about Mysterio. Uh, some people are saying here that they snuck in Charlie Cox, a.k.a. Daredevil. Um, a lot of people are assuming that this is Pete's lawyer that's talking to him. Uh, that's a bit of a stretch because, <laughs> I don't know, like people are pointed out like like the way that the guy has his sleeves rolled up and doing uh -huh. like a picture in picture 
of like his sleeve and Matt Murdock's sleeve from the Netflix <laughs> series. I mean, it's just getting insane, people. Come on, relax. I, I've seen people <laughs> compare how he slams the fucking papers down the oh same. Oh my god! I was like, are you kidding me? Now it did look a little bit like his facial hair, at least when people like brightened up the footage well, but yeah eh. so we do get like a silhouette too uh-huh. but even that is just a blurry mess so <laughs> whatever <laughs> i'm not saying that it can't be but i i don't think you can just assume anything based off of this small amount of footage you know mm-hmm. like the way the guy's fucking sleeve is rolled up that's just insanity Around here, we see Pete and Aunt May sitting on their couch in their apartment and reacting to what sounds like or looks like the police arriving to their apartment. Uh, also, somewhere in this trailer, we see Happy Hogan kind of looking on in horror to like what looks like Pete's apartment actually on fire. So who knows what the hell went down? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if like, you know, in that scene, if they're surrounding Peter's place or Happy himself. Um, but there's a there, there seems to be police officers with their guns drawn, so... But it's safe to say that Pete's life is a fucking mess at this point, because we also see, in the beginning of this trailer, Ned and MJ also being questioned. And I'm sure all this leads to Peter making a visit to his old friend, Doctor Strange, at the Sanctum Sanctorum. I, I like how they showed off with, like, you know, how a modern audience definitely would, like, you know, be filming him at every possible second. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're also, of course, getting the repercussions of what the world knowing, you know, who Peter Parker is. I, I wonder if, like, we'll get like, if we'll get any, like, interesting street level villains attacking him or anything like that now that they know who he is. Because obviously, yeah, it's a safety concern. That's why you have mm-hmm. a secret identity in the first place. You know, he's trying to keep his family and friends safe. Exactly. Uh, you know, he just never thought that it would be from the police, right? Uh, you know, uh, but yeah, no, that's a good point. Because even like the lowest, you know, level street thug probably has it out for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine how hard his life is now. I mean, because even at school, we see like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the hallway parts, you know, and they're all just staring at him, you know, doing the same thing, taking pictures, of, you know, of him on their phones. So, I mean, he just can't escape any of it. I mean, even if I was cleared of murder, I would still, like, I would just not go to school anymore. I, I would not, as a hero, that's not happening. Yeah, that's, <laughs> when, that's when you do some online classes, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, he's a smart enough guy. I'm sure he'll be okay. So. Mm-hmm. But like I said, Peter's visiting the good doctor. Uh, his house looks like a winter wonderland. Yeah. Uh, it's completely <laughs> covered with snow on the inside. So I'm guessing that Strange must have like screwed up some kind of spell. Um, but because of this, uh, we get what I'm hoping eventually turns into a Marvel Legend build a figure. Doctor Strange in his winter <laughs> loungewear look. Uh, sweatpants, uh-huh. hoodie, with the cloak of levitation and all. Like, I, I definitely need this figure in my life. So um, if Hasbro's listening, please make this happen. But anyway, um, here we see Peter asking Doctor Strange for help asking him basically to put the genie back into the bottle and making his identity secret again. Then we see Wong looking like he's headed off on vacation through a portal, scolding Doctor Strange not to perform the spell because it's way too dangerous. Strange, of course, agrees and then winks at Peter. Have you been seeing all the things about people saying that that's Wong heading over to Shang-Chi in the trailer? I, I mean, maybe. 
I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how those movies line up time-wise, so uh, it could be, or he could just, you know, need some R&R, man. I feel like hanging out with Doctor Strange would be pretty stressful. I mean, maybe he doesn't uh-huh. want to walk around the house with snow boots on, right? <laughs> so speaking of speculation, there's also a lot of people who are thinking that this isn't Doctor Strange at all. Have you seen that? Yes. Some people saying that it might be Mephisto, but I don't know about that. Oh, God damn it, Mephisto. And it's all because of that <laughs> one poster saying that, like, Peter's uh-huh. the devil or something right in the beginning. Uh-huh. Like, they think Doctor Strange would be more responsible than trying to cast a spell. And I, I say bullshit. Like, no. Strange is yeah. arrogant as <laughs> all get out. So he would almost see this as a challenge, I think. Right? Yeah, exactly. I feel like he almost starts half of his event books on his own mistakes. Yes, right? <laughs> it's him basically solving his own fuck-ups. So, uh-huh. <laughs> also, I feel like the movie just already has a lot going on for a giant plot twist like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if they did do something like that, I could see it maybe being like Mysterio. But even okay. that feels like a bit much. Mm-hmm. So anyway, next we see Strange starting to cast a spell. Peter, in the middle of this, starts to panic once he realizes the repercussions would mean that, like, MJ and Aunt May wouldn't know his identity anymore, which is something that you would think he would think through before proposing this to Strange. And it looks like they mess with the stability of space and time. Uh, Doctor Strange then talks about how the multiverse is something we know very little about. Also, at this point, I'm doubting he has a clue of all the events that took place during, like, Loki and WandaVision, because there's no way he would try to cast a spell like this otherwise. Yeah, I'm starting to think that maybe these events all do happen at the exact same moment, and that's where we're seeing, like, from where Kang's like, this is the threshold point, and I I think that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, and it's just, like, the perfect storm. Like, maybe this is the MCU's, like, nexus event. Yeah, okay. So, regardless, we get some cool reality-folding effects that we saw in the first Doctor Strange when they entered the whole mirror dimension. I'm really wondering if we're watching, like, realities, like, collapsing onto each other also here we see spider-man rocking his iron spider costume which i was happy that they brought back because like if you have access to that you know kind of technology you know especially with the shit that's going down why wouldn't you Mm -hmm. (laughs) pull that costume out uh and then i think i didn't mention this briefly we saw spider-man in his new black costume that's been kind of like spoiled by the toys at this point. (laughs) Uh, That was earlier in the trailer, but that's just a brief scene of him like running through Mm -hmm. the classroom. But man, this is when shit really starts to get crazy. We start to get hints of what's coming in this film and what might be a brief look at the multiverse version of the Sinister fucking Six. I mean, we see yo lightning hits, which is obviously, you know, a clue that Electro's in this film and something we've already known about for quite mm-hmm. a while. We also see a big cloud of dust that a lot of people are saying are Sandman. And I could see it, I guess, because it does feel like it's moving strangely. But it also could just be a big cloud of dust, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a quick scene that finds Peter reacting to something that people have slowed down and think they're getting a silhouette of sorts of the lizard. Honestly, no matter how many times I look at this, I don't see shit, Christian. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> like he's definitely <laughs> reacting to something, but I can't make out anything that looks like the lizard. Can you? Not at all. But okay. It's it's definitely someone, but I have no idea. I mean, the who. lizard's definitely rumored to be in this film, and it totally mm. makes sense. But I don't know. I'm not getting that from this scene, so I, I'm curious to see if that's what it actually is. But the next moment, Christian, is where I get straight up chills when we hear that familiar cackle and a pumpkin bomb rolls onto the screen. And it's definitely like a rainy designed pumpkin bomb from the first, yes. you know, Spider-Man film. And we know Defoe has long been rumored to be part of the film. Uh, I'm really hoping, though, we get rid of the Power Ranger getup and give him <laughs> something more like comic book accurate, like goblin person all. I'd be fine with that. I just I can't stand that fucking helmet and everything like you have a man who literally looks like a fucking goblin and you're going to put a mask on him for playing the Green Goblin. It makes no sense at all. Unfortunately, I feel like they would go with the original design from the film just because they want to like say, hey, it's from this universe and this is from this universe but and stuff like that. They're not doing it with Electro because Electro is supposed to get a redesign. That's why you see True. the yellow lightning instead of the blue lightning. That's a good point. So, I mean, maybe they don't go the full, like, lightning bolt mask and everything. Although, I'd love to see J.B. Potts wearing that. Yeah. <laughs> but I just want them to tweak a little. Because that, that uh-huh. costume was horrible, man. You know, the movie's great, but that costume almost rooted for me. Because it just looks, <laughs> it just looks like something like a BMX, like, dirt bike rider would wear or something at, like, you know, some extreme games like I just <laughs> I don't know I don't know that, I mean that was the one thing that disappointed me about like the original Spider-Man film but I'll move on <laughs> but then they even managed to top themselves as we see Doc Ock's tentacles smash the concrete and Alfred Molina in plain day looking like he just walked off the set of Spider-Man 2 say hello Peter I mean, not to get graphic, Christian, but I went to full, like, nerd gas. <laughs> um, yeah, I was excited for it as well. I don't know about nerdgasming but (laughs) i'm just being Um, honest i'm just being honest i know (laughs) i think the main thing that kept coming back into my head um after you know seeing the trailer was just like they kept bringing up during those rumors and stuff with alfred molina that you know this is picking up right where we last saw him at the end of spider-man 2 so i was like didn't his chip break at the end of that movie wasn't he okay like he had more control over at that by the end well okay so the orbs on the tentacles uh signify like who's in control of them yeah so the orbs are red that we see of the one flash of the tentacles so i don't know if the tentacles are in charge at that point um but i'm not sure i who knows how it lines up Let's just enjoy the moment, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> For once. <laughs> so at this point in this trailer, we've got a Doc Ock, the Green Goblin, maybe Electro, maybe Sandman, and maybe the Lizard. So we are missing one member of the Sinister mm-hmm. Six. So if I would have to guess who that member could be, I'm going to have to go with Mysterio. Because, I mean, he absolutely faked his death, right? Yeah, because hundred oh, percent because he's fucking Mysterio, <laughs> and that's what he does, right? <laughs> but I mean, we'll see. 
Um, I could also see like the Vulture maybe popping up. Um, but, you know, against this army of villains, no matter what, Peter is going to need assistance. And I'm, I'm guessing that's probably where Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, you know, and their versions of Spider-Man actually get involved. So, mm-hmm. um, so we're pretty much getting like a live action version of Into the Spider-Verse at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm okay with that. That's totally fine mm. with me. Part of me also hopes that we get like a live action version of Miles and even like Spider-Gwen for that matter. But it, it's probably way too much to ask for. It's just way too much for this fucking movie to handle. Uh, more likely we'll get like maybe a little Easter egg or tease at the end of the film. Uh, but I don't see anything more. Maybe at the end, you know, they give each other like a beacon to reach out um, if anything else happens in their own universes. And then like, you know, at, at the end credits, his beacon starts going off. And he's like, oh, we're building up to a Spider-Verse event. Oh, you know, it's... <laughs> I'm glad Hollywood's not calling Christian. <laughs> oh, well, wait till you hear my next idea. <laughs> Does he have to say it more. like that? <laughs> <laughs> We're building up the spider. But what? <laughs> and then he winks at the camera. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's horrible. All right. What, what, what's your next idea? Okay. Well, you brought this up earlier. And so that's what you made me think of it. It's like, what if like, if Doctor Strange was Mysterio, everything was all, all of this was all just a giant hologram experience uh-huh. for uh, fucking Spider-Man in the end. Like, it just turns out that this has all just been fucking with him. But the why entire, would, all Mysterio's revenge. Here's the thing, though. Like, what would be the purpose of Mysterio using these villains from other timelines that he couldn't possibly know anything about in this film? Like... He's a creative motherfucker. He just came up with them. <laughs> All Doc Ock there says is hello, Peter. And he knows who Peter is. Uh, he can easily just program that. I guess. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> oh, be, it's not going to be? Yeah, but... that, that would be the drizzling shits. And people would uh-huh. turn on that so fast. It would just feel so cheap. That would be the equivalent of, like, you know, you know, end scene of, like, oh, this whole movie was a dream. Like, it, it, yeah. it, it'd be the same thing. <laughs> People would hate that. So, um, especially with everything happening with the multiverse right now, you know, in, you know, across the MCU, it just feels like this is the real deal. So, knock on wood, you know, they don't pull the swerve like that. So, I mean, this was pretty much everything I was hoping for, and then some. It looks like it's going to be one hell of a ride. I think it's crazy that they're playing with elements from uh, the One More Day comic, which we talked about before on the show. Also, with like, you know, comics that tie into that with, you know, the events of Civil War and, you know, Peter like revealing his identity to the public, you know, it is Doctor Strange along with Reed Richards and I think Tony Stark who basically figure out a way to make the public forget who Spider Man is. And that all ties in weirdly with, you know, One More Day and we won't get into that because it's just kind of a mess. (laughs) I just love that the MCU finds a way to weave all these different like, you know, comic book plots into their own story. It's definitely one of the things that make these films so much fun for lifelong fans like ourselves. Yeah, again, this is another one that I'm super excited for. And just because, like, we're seeing the Marvel Universe explode here with these last few shows. And now with Doctor Strange, of course, 
do, being Doctor Strange and doing a spell he probably shouldn't be doing. Uh, and so I'm excited to see where we go on with Marvel and MCU and, you know, being able to pull from different stories from the actual comics and seeing that they continue to show love to the actual comics um, in these films is awesome. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here. No, I agree 100 percent. And once again, for those people who are thinking that this is not Doctor Strange somehow, which it, it, there's a possibility that it might not be. I mean, this is shit Doctor Strange does all the fucking time in uh-huh. the box. <laughs> That's kind of his deal. Casting spells that he has no business casting. And him trying to figure out, you know, his way out of a mess of his own doing. Or it's Mephisto. Or it's Mephisto. But I would love a scene where he comes out and he's like, you thought that was me? I would never wear a winter coat like that. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> but I think it's just a lot of people have you know, got this image in their minds of who Doctor Strange was going to be by this film. Because everyone's been speculating, oh, he's going to be pissed off because, you know, Wanda just fucked up the universe and, and Loki and Sylvie have just fucked up the universe. So they expected him to come into this super stressed out. But, you know, this could all just be happening at the same time. Or right before you know, all that took place. Uh, it could just be a, a perfect storm, like we, we were saying before. Well, we'll have to wait to December 17th to find out, because that's when the film will be debuting, hopefully, in theaters. Well, speaking of Doctor Strange, we got a pretty big rumor this week that Wanda could be facing off with a major X-Men character in the Multiverse of Madness film. Alright, so this is kind of a late-breaking rumor. Uh, A couple different sources are appearing to suggest that Wanda will come face-to-face with Professor X in the forthcoming Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness film. Uh, The reports originated with Scoopers Daniel RPK and viewer Anon, suggesting that we're going to see a version of Marvel's Illuminati in the film. These rumors were bolstered when former Variety writer Chris Tapley shared some comic book images supporting it. So Vera Anon is suggesting that the Illuminati will be represented by Professor X, Captain Carter, Baldur the Brave, Monica Rambeau, and Mordo. So this feels really far-fetched to me and a bit of a stretch, but I mean, if you told me the synopsis for, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home a year ago, I would have said the same thing, and here we sit. Uh, (laughs) After we saw that first episode of What If, we did kind of talk about how cool it would be to see a live-action version of Captain Carter in the MCU. So I I wouldn't be surprised if we did get that, but to introduce Professor X this way, and like potentially the entire idea of mutants into the MCU like this, I don't know. It just feels weird to me, and I, I don't think I like it. But maybe this isn't the first like introduction to the X-Men we get in the MCU and maybe they pop up somewhere else like in brief cameos before this. And I know this is going to be like a multiverse version of Professor X most likely. And a while back, Patrick Stewart did uh, say that he was approached about appearing in the MCU. So, I mean, who knows? Um, you know, do we get the Patrick Stewart version of the character or do we get the younger James McAvoy? Now, I do think like the idea of the Illuminati is a really cool concept for the MCU to like play around with. I mean, this feels like a very different version than what we got in the comic books. Uh, in the comics, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, introduced the group in the new Avengers right after the Kree scroll war. Um, the group is made out of just like kind of the respective leaders of the different corners of the Marvel universe. Um, after Tony realizes that a lot of, you know, the issues that they had could have been adverted 
if they would have just been communicating with each other. Uh, the group consists of Professor X, uh, Namor, Doctor Strange, Black Bolt, Reed Richards, and of course, Tony. Um, they kind of operate in secret, and even the respective teams don't know about them. Now, Jonathan Hickman also used a version of the group for his run, and if I remember correctly, the team is trying to stop other versions of Earth from crashing into their own, and they're doing this in secret, because there's definitely some morally questionable choices that the group is having to make. And in that version of the group, the Black Panther is a big part of it, and I believe also the X-Men's Beast, because Professor X at that point is dead. But that's neither here nor there, but it is interesting because it seems like Marvel is headed towards uh, Hickman's version of the Secret Wars. Uh, but I know I just went down a giant rabbit hole and this all could amount to bullshit um but i don't know it's fun to speculate i guess christian your thoughts i mean for the most part i agree i think this would be a very weird way to introduce the x-men into um, the mcu but at the same time if they wanted to do like maybe having wanda have a standoff with one x-men character like either gene or professor x like as a the, you know they're going through different like universes and stuff like that that i'd be think i'd be a little bit more okay with rather than like you know professor x being a part of the illuminati and you know them kind of wasting the the illuminati type of storyline in this film where it could be something much bigger or at least be going on in the background in like a future avengers film i think that would be a much cooler take to go on because yeah right now i can't see a reason for the illuminati to exist especially in um, Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. So, uh, but who knows? Maybe they have a larger plan. Maybe there's some type of, you know, multiversal thing that the Illuminati are trying to accomplish here. And we have no idea. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have to wait until this movie comes out, of course. All right, well, it looks like Marvel Studios could be making a Halloween special for Disney+, Plus, reportedly featuring Werewolf by Night. So yes, and that's actually according to The Wrap. Apparently, they are searching for a Latino male actor in his 30s to star in the project, uh, and it won't begin production to early 2022. So actually, The Werewolf by Night joining the MCU has been long rumored. A lot of people were speculating that he would be part of the Moon Knight series. Uh, a while back, Kevin Smith mentioned while he was prepping his ill-fated Howard the Duck series, uh, he wanted to use Werewolf by Night, but he was was told that he the character was actually off the table now the only version of the character that i know of is the original jack russell but apparently there's another incarnation of the character jake gomez who's a native american his family's been cursed by lycanthropy so i'll be curious to see which version of the character they end up going with but i don't know this is pretty cool news i mean first we're getting a christmas special with the guardians of the galaxy and now the mcu is doing a halloween special with you know potentially the werewolf by night so who knows, maybe we'll get an Easter special with the White Rabbit. Oh, oh yeah? As a Spider-Man villain. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's totally not going to happen, but... <laughs> it's on theme, I guess. I guess. Do, um, I mean, we don't. We haven't seen the Christmas special, but I wonder if they're going to add other Marvel characters, um, you know, through like these different specials that they're doing, other than just the main team or character that they feature that we, that we know of, though. <laughs> I still wouldn't be surprised if you know, Werewolf by Night doesn't end up first premiering in the Moon Knight series. Mm -hmm. um, and then they go ahead and, you know, spin it off into the Halloween special. Just, you know, and they could use it as almost like a pilot episode. If the character works, then maybe he gets his own series. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Well, up next, Black Canary to get a spinoff film on HBO Max. 
So yes, first reported by Cinelinks, it looks like Emmy-nominated Lovecraft Country showrunner Misha Green has been tapped to write the screenplay for Journey Smollett's Black Canary, the DC hero who first appeared in Birds of Prey. Later on, there are further reports stating that the project is actually a feature film in the works for HBO Max, uh, where it will join other DC properties such as Batgirl and Blue Beetle. As of right now, it's unclear exactly where in the character's timeline this film is going to take place. Uh, since it's still in the very early stages of production. I think this is great news because I really enjoyed the character in the film, but she just didn't have enough focus put on her. Um, so this hopefully will remedy that because I think there's a lot more story to tell. Also, I'm hoping to get an appearance from the Huntress because I feel like she also got the short end of the stick. Uh, or maybe she'll get her own spinoff film. Who knows? Hell, maybe it could all build up to another Birds of Prey style film. It could just be another sequel to that. Um, just get separate little films for them. It is interesting to continue to see different characters that they want to make films for just being on HBO Max. But uh, we'll see how well they do on that platform. Up next, looks like Anya Taylor-Joy is reuniting with the witch director, Robert Eggers, on a Nosferatu film. So in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, the Last Night in Soho star revealed that she is reuniting with director Robert Eggers on a remake of Nosferatu. We don't currently know what role Taylor Joy will be playing in the film or who else will be joining her. Eggers' version of the classic film has been a long time coming uh, since it was actually first announced in 2015. So I totally forgot about this, but Eggers just feels like the perfect director for this film. So I can't wait for this to be a real thing. I mean, fuck it. Let's have Ralph uh, something or the dad from the witch uh, show back up as uh, our um, Nosferatu. I can't think of his name. Um, I don't know. I mean, Robert Eggers worked with William Defoe before and he's played oh, Nosferatu in the past. So <laughs> it just feels like the perfect fit. Uh, mm. I could see them also getting someone like Christian Bale, who would totally lose like 150 pounds to play, oh, yeah. you know, the <laughs> character and you know get like you know curve his spine you know for uh -huh. real <laughs> and lastly we have some possible rumored film delays so according to the vulture the fate of marvel's eternals is tied to shang chi's box office performance if the film underperforms when it opens september 3rd the eternals can move to later in 2021 or beyond so obviously movie studios are concerned with the delta variant surging right now especially with moviegoers being hesitant to return to theaters and who can blame them. Uh, the studios will also point to the example of the Suicide Squad underperforming uh, its opening weekend, but I feel like that's a little skewed just because it was also released on HBO Max. If you look at it, uh, The Free Guy actually overperformed its expectations. So, um, but it is what it is. There have also been conflicting reports that Venom Let There Be Carnage uh, is going to be delayed to 2022 but some are also saying that that's not the case at all and that Sony will be sticking to its new release date of October 17th. Uh, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I do feel like Shang-Chi is going to do well. And I also think Spider-Man, if they hold that date, will do phenomenal in December as well. I think these films will still like perform way better than they think it is with everything that's going on. Even with the fear of the Delta variant, I still think these films have a possible like some game changing numbers coming. No, I mean, I agree, especially when it comes to, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm also optimistic with Shang-Chi. Uh, but I feel like that might actually end up being more of a like slow burn where, you know, word of mouth goes around, you know, like how mm -hmm. good it is. And 
the second weekend actually does just as well as, you know, the first weekend, because a lot of people are saying right now that the trailer isn't really doing the film any justice, which I think the trailer looks great. So (laughs) I'm I'm getting more and more excited for the film. But I mean, we'll just have to wait and see because I, I hate to bring this up, but if Sony pushes back, you know, Venom, I don't see them not pushing back Spider-Man. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's a decision they have to make with, you know, the MCU, but it feels like Sony's a little more skittish on these things. So they're more willing to push back films. Um, And they're probably like, well, people are still going to show up in January if we push it back a month. So true, which fucking sucks. But, you know, Mm -hmm. who can blame them at this point? Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Blast your pube to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard, and one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my lawnmower 4.0. Ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the US, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff, new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM. RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code AMAZING, that's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and break down the third episode of Marvel's What If. 
Warning spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's What If Ahead. You have been warned. Contrary to your belief, you are not the center of my universe. I get it. Hit him. What'd you just do to me? What did we just do for you? That's lithium dioxide. It's gonna take the edge off. It's not a cure. It just abates the symptoms. Stark, you okay? Stark. Tony, Tony. This week's Marvel's What If series takes us down a darker timeline in which the members of the Avengers Initiative are targets of assassination. Uh, the episode begins with a moment straight out of Iron Man 2 where they try to rein in a hungover Tony Stark at a donut shop. Um, for those who don't recall, at this time Tony was being poisoned by the very device that saved him, his arc reactor. Just like in the scene from the movie, Black Widow blindsides Tony while he's talking to Nick Fury, giving him a shot of lithium dioxide um, to help stave off some of the effects of the reactor but this time around Tony doesn't get a moment of reprieve no he just flops over dead but yeah this totally caught me off guard because I, I the original like synopsis of this episode was just talking about what if uh, Loki took over Earth or yeah, something like exactly. that so I wasn't expecting all of this murder <laughs> <laughs> but I mean hey whatever Meanwhile, the Avengers timeline kind of continues, you know, just on schedule as Thor's hammer is discovered by Coulson and S.H.I.E.L.D. in New Mexico. But Fury is left to deal with Widow as, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. wants her in custody for Tony's death since she was the only one there who actually injected him with anything. But at the same time, Fury isn't convinced and believes she wasn't responsible for it. And knowing Widow will escape sets her up on a mission to work outside of S.H.I.E.L.D., giving her the needle she used to inject Stark before she gets carted off to head toward New York. But of course, they don't actually make it there, and Widow, similar to Cap's elevator scene from The Winter Soldier, takes out all the guards escorting her and makes her escape. But I just wanted to say, in this scene, it was a little, it almost came off superhuman the way she was fighting. <laughs> At times, those fists were just flying like crazy, but uh, enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, right when this scene started, I was like, oh, I know exactly where they're going. But then I started cracking up when, you know, Widow just kept on punching yeah. that dude over and over again. <laughs> I was expecting this huge, like, choreographed scene. I was like, oh, no, she's just going to go ballistic and just keep on punching this dude in the fucking face. So I was like, okay. Or you could do that, you know. <laughs> they were so fast. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, it feels like sometimes Marvel forgets that Widow isn't necessarily super powered. Mm -hmm. You know, because that also ha happened in her film a few times where it's like she shouldn't be able to recover from that, that yeah quickly. you know giant <laughs> car accidents and shit but hey whatever plus they're in the middle of the desert when she escapes by the way like how is he not able to see in any direction that she just ran off to she's the black widow dude. okay Come fair on. enough <laughs> she's a super spy she's got her ways i just don't know if super punching is one of True. them <laughs> Fury then makes his way to New Mexico to see Mjolnir, and is met by Clint Barton, aka Hawkeye. And just like in Thor's first entry into the MCU, he attempts to reclaim his hammer. Um, you know, breaking into the shield site surrounding his mythical weapon, Coulson actually sees him entering and alerts the entire camp. And Barton, just like in the film, gets into position above the hammer. Um, Fury holds off Barton though, wanting to see if Thor is capable of lifting this hammer that no one else seemed to be able to. But this moment is quickly ruined with an arrow 
arrow drawn by Hawkeye somehow being released and piercing Thor straight through the heart, killing him instantly. So this is the first scene where I knew something else was up because I was like, there's no way one arrow would take down Thor. Yeah. Um, but what that is, you know, I had no idea at the time. And I also wanted to bring up because we talked about him so much last podcast. I, I was so happy that we got so much like Coulson this episode <laughs> of the series. Like, I, I thought that was fantastic because he got a lot of time, you know, a lot of screen time. No, yeah, we literally summoned him. Uh, but I started to think <laughs> like, what if, because as you said earlier, you know, we had originally thought this episode was all going to be about Loki. So I was like, okay, what if he's using like a stone to, you know, manipulate their minds and that's what's happening. Like he's controlling all their attacks and stuff like that. So I went straight to the Winter Soldier because I was like, who could be assassinating, you know, these, you know, soon to be Avengers? And I was like, well, maybe it's, you know, the Winter Soldier. He feels like the one super, you know, assassin in the Marvel Universe who could possibly get it done. Like, if it's not Black Widow, who at this point, I felt like, no, it can't be, you know, mm -hmm. unless it was like a huge, like, twist. Um, but yeah, obviously, we were both wrong. Fury stressed out now with two possible heroes dead and two agents under his command, the sole suspects for their murders tries to figure out what's going on with Coulson. Um, Fury attempts to interrogate Hawkeye, only to find him dead in his holding cell, though. And Coulson asks, you know, could this have been suicide? Could he have been trying to just take the easy way out? But Fury is quick to remind all of us that Clint has a family. And we also saw how just how shaken up he was just by the fact that his arrow was fired without his control. The very next day, we meet back up with Natasha as she locates Betty Ross, an expert biologist, but more importantly, someone who worked closely with Bruce Banner, aka the Hulk. Um, having Betty take a look at the needle, it's made clear that it wasn't poison that killed Stark, but a tiny projectile. Um, Betty theorizes that it could have been, you know, nanotech, but either way, it has zero interest in working with Widow. And at the same time, Widow seems to notice a pizza uniform that doesn't seem to belong in a lab setting. This pizza uniform most notably worn by Ed Norton's version of Hulk back in his entry into the MCU. I always need to be reminded that that film is actually part of the MCU. Me too. <laughs> like, it just feels like kind of like the bastard son, mm -hmm. you know, of all the films. Just because Edward Norton was part of it and, you know, him and Mark Ruffalo are so different. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to wrap my mind around like, yo, it was Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner going through all those events. But it's cool that they brought us back to the, you know, to this film and, you know, reintroduced us to, you know, Betty Ross. Uh, you know, I don't think they got Liv Tyler voicing the character you know? no um but yeah and just to see like you know ruffalo being inserted you know yes in, you know <laughs> these scenes so i don't know during the scene, Widow is interrupted by a phone call from Fury informing her of Hawkeye's murder. Fury figures out that, you know, the killer is targeting those who were compiled on a list of possible Avengers. Warning Natasha that she and Bruce Banner are targets, Romanoff actually meets Mark Ruffalo's version of Banner for the first time hiding at the lab with Betty. The one thing I did get stuck on was, you know, the fact that the assassin targeted Thor because he wouldn't possibly be part of the list at this point mm -hmm. but then they went ahead and kind of explained that away later on so um 
which was fine. During the same day, we hop back on over to New Mexico, where Loki lands with an army of Asgardians, along with the Warriors 3 and Lady Sif, looking to actually avenge the loss of Thor. S.H.I.E.L.D. attempts to meet Loki and his forces, only to get blasted with freeze rays from the Casket of Ancient Winters, you know, the same device that Loki stole in the original Thor film. This is so Loki here, he's like capitalizing on the situation and taking advantage of it, even uh -huh. though, like, he's the one who's like, who banished Thor at this point, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because he's he put his father in in the coma, right? The you know all sleep or whatever the how they called it. Yes. But yeah, no, classic Loki, never one to you know miss an opportunity. And all the while, this is all happening as Thunderbolt Ross arrives at the college where Black Widow and Hulk are actually hiding at. Seemingly, a gun fires, striking Bruce in the chest, sending him into a rage as the Hulk unleashes on Ross's forces. Unfortunately for the Hulk, though, um, he doesn't seem to stop growing, <laughs> and at a certain point actually just explodes from the inside out. So this was far more graphic than I was expecting from, you know, the series. Yeah. <laughs> Exploded hulks. But I dug it. Fury's forces being frozen to death by Loki leads to Fury actually just trying to make a deal. Lady Sif urges Loki to hear Fury out, and Fury actually ends up vowing to bring who is responsible to Loki. But it would be Natasha who discovers the killer, as while going through shield files, Romanoff discovers a vital clue. But as she goes to inform Fury, she is attacked from behind, only to be able to shout out that it's all about hope before being dragged off camera. So it actually took me a couple minutes to figure out who the hell she was talking about because my mind kept on going to Hope Summers, but I was like, there's no way they're introducing Hope Summers like this, you know? Like, that would be the first mutant in the MCU. That would be um, crazy. So, yeah, right? So, but I could, I was like, who, who else is named Hope? But then it clicked, Hope Van Dyne. So I was like, oh, duh. Yeah, trust me, I was all over the place with my guesses too. I'm like, Hope, 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 who's Hope? And I started thinking Fantastic Four. I'm like, who's Hope? And I'm like, no, that can't be that. It was all over hope. the place. Fantastic Four. There's no one in uh, Fantastic Four named Hope. Uh, I just forgot the name of the, their daughter. Are I was you thinking like, of the daughter? Oh, yeah. that, Val, right? Yeah. It's Val. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is where we see Nick Fury on the ropes now, with you know his Avengers team pretty much dead. He goes to his car where we catch him thinking about calling in Captain Marvel from his special space pager. Um, however, before he presses the button, he figures out what Black Widow's last words meant and ends up heading to meet up with Loki once more to make a new deal. In San Francisco, the truth comes out as Fury makes a little visit to Hope Van Dyne's grave, who in this universe died while working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Here we see Hank Pym now sporting more of Yellow Jacket's color style, you know, making it known that he killed the Avengers along with Thor. As Pym attempts to fight Fury though, he is quickly met with hundreds of Nick Furies in what seems like, you know, godly intervention. But we find out that it's Loki who was there to witness all of Hank's confession the whole time. So I really enjoyed this reveal because it made perfect sense. I mean, Hank was already messed up from losing his wife and really like cold and bitter. So I can see if he lost his daughter also, that just pushing him over the edge. Um, and we know like, you know, from the, the character's history in the comics, you know, how unstable he actually is. Mm -hmm. So I popped too when he was in like the classic, like yellow jacket costume and everything. Um, and I could definitely see where like Pym could take out an unexpected, like, you know, soon to be Avengers team. He's got the perfect like power set and, you know, the scientific know-how. So I do wish we would have seen him put up a little more of a fight, yeah. but I guess he was kind of thrown off by this like Loki'd up, you know, Nick Fury. <laughs> 
I um, guess. At I, first, too, like, at first I was like, they better not be, like, retconning, like, how, how skilled of a fighter, you know, Nick Fury is. Uh-huh. When he's doing, like, the superhero <laughs> pose and everything. But then I was like, oh, yeah, obviously, this is Loki. Mm-hmm. I just, I just think it was another case of them simplifying some things for time reasons, though. Like that's true. We had just we had just saw him kick Black Widow's ass completely. Like he threw her around like it was nothing. So, but we don't see exactly what's happening in the dark either. Like I we don't know not. exactly what he's doing. So, I mean, for all we know, he like shrunk himself down, went into her ear, and like knocked her off or like equilibrium or something. You know. So, I mean, it's hard to really tell. Or if he just, like, went into her bloodstream and fucked with her that way, right? True. Because, I mean, we do see in this scene, like, how he was able to kill each one of them. Like, how he threw the pin particles into the Hulk's hearts to make him explode. Like, Right? <laughs> he has which, the tools. I mean, he could literally do that to everyone if he wanted to, which is what makes him so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And yet again, makes me wonder if, you know, Scott Lang could have killed Thanos in, in the way that everyone assumed <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know christian we'll never or maybe know. that's going to be another what if episode that what would if, be you smart. know scott lang went up you know thanos's ass <laughs> is that what you want to see yes <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> that sounds wrong <laughs> moving on now with hank Taken away by the Asgardians, Nick Fury tells Loki to take the hammer and go. But Loki has other plans and takes over Earth with no Avengers to stop him this time around. The entirety of Earth's many nations actually ends up folding underneath Loki and his army of Asgardians. Before the show closes out, Fury shows us that there is still hope for Earth yet, as after leaving the caskets of the fallen heroes, he finds Captain America's shield frozen in ice, and we get the surprise arrival of another captain in Captain Marvel, prepared to fight Loki. So it's interesting, because we keep on getting these like open-ended like conclusions to these episodes, so I'm wondering, like, are we eventually going to revisit all these different timelines at some point because they did something similar last episode with like peter meeting his father um and then the episode just kind of ends so we know from the trailers we're eventually going to get like a multiverse version of the avengers filling in at the battle of new york at least that's what it looks like so maybe this is the timeline they're in you know and you know this version of loki's who they're battling i mean i don't know why you know Earth falling to Loki would be so pivotal to the multiverse um, here that the Watcher would have to, and I'm assuming that's what happens mm-hmm. with this like multiverse version of you know the Avengers. You know the Watcher somehow puts them together. Uh, so I don't know why this timeline would be the timeline that he would need to save, um, but I don't know. It just seems like that's what's happening in the trailers. But I might be assuming a lot. No, yeah, I, I maybe we'll see something down the road where Loki is, you know, just too powerful and he starts breaking into the multiverse. I, I, I would imagine that if you have a multiversal team of Avengers, they have to go up against a multiversal threat. That's just, mm-hmm. you know, what I think it equ- equates to at least. Yeah, yeah, it's just interesting that they're because that's definitely New York and that's mm-hmm. definitely during the, you know that period of time. So, and they make a point to show us like this multiverse team. Uh, you know, taking over for, you know, our version of the Avengers. Um, but who knows why? I mean, maybe this Loki, you know, like you said, gets too powerful 
Um, you know, and that's why the Watcher has to stop, step in. And I mean, the only reason I'm saying that is just because these episodes feel so open-ended and maybe that's just to revisit in the second season. I don't know. Well, next on the docket for um, the What If series, it seems like we're going to be seeing Doctor Strange. All the images so far at least show that. No name for it just yet. Yeah, it seems like details are kind of scarce. Um, but if this past episode proves anything... It, they're definitely willing to swerve us too because we had no idea yeah. we we're going to get this like murder mystery this episode so but i really enjoyed that they're willing to get like this dark with the series because it's such a classic like what if theme you know from the comics uh yeah because i believe we've gotten before like you know what if the punisher killed like spider-man um or I, even like what if the punisher killed the marvel universe which i don't know if technically it was a what if book but it was definitely along you know those lines mm -hmm. so you know, here we just got, what if Hank Pym decided to kill the Avengers? Literally blow up the Hulk. I'm still not over it. <laughs> Don't fuck with Ant-Man. No. <laughs> Especially like, you know, the original Hank Pym version, because he's fucking crazy. I mean, I think in the comics, he's still like merged with Ultron. Yeah. I don't know if there was ever a resolution to that storyline, but yeah. Don't fuck with Hank Pym. But all right, make sure to join us next time for another episode of What If. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is also sponsored by Thousandfell. Christian, before we go on, man, I gotta say, I am loving those new shoes. Thanks, I always gotta be rocking some Thousandfells, man. Not only are they comfortable and stylish, but Thousandfell is redesigning sustainability for the next generation, starting with a fully circular sneaker. Each pair combines thoughtful design with modern and sustainably sourced materials, making them durable, comfortable, and recyclable. 97% of sneakers end up in a landfill, and Christian, we're not okay with that. Your sneakers no longer have to end up in the trash. They can be recycled. Let's design a brighter future, zero waste, closed loop sustainability with a thousand fell, the future of footwear. Thousand fell aren't about setting abstract goals for 10 to 20 years down the line. No, they're about action. No more greenwashing. They're building a fully transparent recycling program with Super Circle. Super Circle is the next phase in their commitment to circularity, ensuring that every pair of thousand fell is recycled and reused in their supply chain. They're their new recycling program is the first of its kind. Every pair of a thousand fell purchase comes with a $20 recycling credit towards your next purchase, making it easier than ever to skip a trip to the landfill. Join the movement at thousandfell.com and use the promo code AMAZINGNERD21 to get $21 off your first order. That's right, listeners. Head over to thousandfell.com. Use our promo code AMAZINGNERD21 and get yourself $21 off your first order and let them know the nerd sent you. Get ready to rock the future of footwear and look good while doing it with a thousand fell. Well, Damon, you saw a movie this That's week. That's right, Christian. I saw the horror film The Night House. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for The Night House ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. My husband took a boat out on the lake. He took a, a handgun that I didn't even know that we owned and... Did he leave a note? He did. You were right. There is nothing. Nothing is after you. You're safe now. 
A widow begins to uncover her recently deceased husband's disturbing secrets. This was directed by David Bruckner and stars Rebecca Hall. So The Night House is a disturbing journey into grief in the afterlife. A surreal mystery that engross you until the final scene and leave you feeling like a dark cloud of dread is hovering over you as you walk out the theater. And it'll take you a day or two to shake, trust me. Beth, played by the amazing Rebecca Hall, just lost her husband Owen after he commits suicide in their small boat off the lake. Left with no real answers except for an unnerving letter, Beth is left trying to navigate her own despair until she begins to experience visions that have her not only questioning her own sanity, but what really happened to her husband. So I'm going to go light spoilers here, as I usually do with a film that I really enjoyed and I want people to experience for themselves. Uh, director David Bruckner gives us what starts off as a classic ghost story, and then he turns it on its ear by exploring far darker themes than your average haunted house film. He gives us a protagonist in Beth, who's just as unrelenting as whatever's haunting her. Strong but vulnerable, she'll stop at nothing to get answers as we watch her start to just unravel at the seams. I have to say it again, this is just a brilliant layered performance by Rebecca Hall as we watch her search for the truth. Regardless of what's going on, she's not going to let anything get in her way. To the point where there's kind of an unease with the choices that she's making. I mean, she's the kind of character who's not going to run away from danger, which makes her, as our lone guide in this film, feel as unsafe as the supernatural element. I mean, there's a darkness to her character that's unsettling, and Bruckner's able to tap into this and uses it along with the atmosphere and an amazing sound design and score to build a level of heightened suspense that leads to some of the most well-earned jump scares I've experienced in quite a while. I mean, they're the kind of jump scares that have you, like, looking around the theater embarrassingly like afterwards to see if anyone's like pointing and laughing but like trust me no one's laughing because it got them too the setting of the house and the way that they shot it is just the perfect tool for this because it, you start to question your own eyes the isolation that Bruckner builds with this house feels suffocating and once like the story really starts to unfold you feel like it's another character in the film but what I really enjoyed about the night house is that it dares to go to unexpected places that might change challenge the audience with its bleak, bleak outlook. I mean, without saying too much, at the heart of this film is a real twisted love story, not just between Beth and Owen, but between life and Beth, and maybe even death and Beth. Um, it breaks away from the typical template of a supernatural film, and it really refuses to hand you any kind of comforting resolution. It doesn't care about your feelings, and I can appreciate that. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give The Night House an A. It's in theaters now. Horror fans, I beg of you support this film so studios will be willing to take chances and make more like it. Uh, the Night House is the kind of horror film we deserve more of. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. This last week in gaming, we had the return of Gamescom and a boatload of trailers and gameplay that came with it. Honestly, I can't say that I was prepared for any of this because there was a ton of game announcements, including a ton of indie games as well that I want to check out at this point. But, you know, somehow the energy of this year's Gamescom felt larger than what people call, you know, that mecca of gaming conventions, E3. And the buzz around it has been pretty positive as well. And with like most conventions, you know, not every presentation was amazing. Like, God, the Age of Empires, you know, um, team showing off exactly how a trebuchet works, like it was the 
fucking History Channel made no sense, but I was still surprised by a couple announcements and I am overall excited to head into you know the holiday season as well as 2022's year of gaming. One of the biggest announcements that came out of Gamescom was the official release date for Microsoft's baby, Halo Infinite. Um, the Xbox Showcase again focused on the free-to-play multiplayer elements of the next Halo, giving us a cool CG trailer that ended with its December 8th launch date. Uh, the game won't start with fan-favorite modes like Forge or even have an online co-op function at launch, but as most free-to-play experiences are, you have to imagine they're working on that to roll it out as soon as possible, most likely, you know, spring at the earliest and along with that announcement was this gorgeous i mean gorgeous special edition xbox um you know for halo infinite it was insane it actually made me think about purchasing a fucking xbox when i don't really need one right now but alas another game that i am also looking forward to is sifu you know i've talked about it a couple times on the show it's the super ultra stylistic martial arts game and with its latest trailer we finally got a release date um, that being february 2nd so you'll definitely be able to catch me playing it on stream next year speaking of exciting new game experiences another studio has gotten their hands on marvel as fire access you know the team behind xcom has a midnight suns game in development the trailer showing off you know the badass team up of doctor strange magic iron man Wolverine, Blade, Captain America, Nico, Captain Marvel, and Robbie Reyes's Ghost Rider. The game has been described as a tactical RPG, which should be no surprise coming from you know the Fire Axis team. And while I haven't been the biggest XCOM fan myself, you know this definitely has piqued the interest of the Amazing Nerd Show in general. And oh, I can't forget, we finally got a trailer for Saints Row, and it's getting an official reboot, it seems. I know I was a huge fan of the first few games in this franchise, but I think 4 and on just got a little too wild and weird for me. You know, where, you know, the modern GTA games are a bit of, you know, ridiculousness baked in realism, Saints Row has always been insanity doused in two shots of vodka. However, those later entries I think dipped too far from their roots and turned me off to them as a whole. Uh, they were just constantly trying to one-up their wild stories every time and it made the characters and game just kind of unlikable in the end. Well, based off the gameplay and CG trailer they released, it seems that they have you know, taken the best elements of all their games so far and kind of refined them and brought them back to you know their original roots. Though I will start off by saying I was a tad bit disappointed in the game's art design and graphical appearance, especially for like a rebooted version of the franchise. But at the same time, I do know that the main point of a Saints Row experience, you know, has always been its gameplay. You know, in the gameplay itself, seems to be functioning the same as it always has. You know, it's a game made to be fun and, you know, bring you laughs, nothing too serious. But I did also appreciate that the developers seem to want, you know, a little bit more of a focus on character development this time, rather than just, you know, what kind of fun, crazy guns can we put in or what crazy stunt can we have the boss accomplish? You know, the, the best way to describe the Saints Row franchise, what it was, it really seemed like it was just kind of following that, you know, that Fast and Furious vibe where, you know, it started off with them doing, you know, small heists and racing and then out of nowhere, now they're fucking doing space missions and like working for like some secret underground government agency. It just went a little bit too crazy and wild and I'm happy to see it getting rebooted at this point. Deep Silver's new entry into the franchise will be coming out early next year with a release date of February 25th. Let's see if it can live up to what it's calling itself as the you know, biggest, most ambitious game yet. 
As for me this weekend, we're doing another PCW special event, um, and that would be the heist, kind of our version of Money in the Bank in our WWE 2K19 universe. Plus, we have been playing some great Ace Attorney, uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, among plenty of other games, and a lot more games are coming out soon. So you're gonna wanna be following us on Twitch for all the latest gameplay. Plus, it's almost September, or by the time this episode comes out, it will be September. So any support you throw to the Amazing Nerd Show helps us create more content. So make sure to use your Amazon Prime account to subscribe to us for free on Twitch. All right, now on to wrestling. So I look at it like this. August 13th, 2005, I left professional wrestling. August 20th, 2021. I'm back. All right, Christian. So this past week, we had one of the biggest weekends in wrestling that I can remember, honestly. So much shit went down, though, that we're going to kind of play like the best of here because um, <laughs> we don't want to do a three hour show. <laughs> uh, but let's go ahead and just start off. But let's go ahead and start off with what I think is the number one story of the weekend. CM Punk returns. I mean, speak about best of the world, right? That's right. Uh, just an absolutely magical moment. I mean, it had to be right up there with the loudest pops I've ever heard. And I know you were actually there to witness it. Yeah. So, um, Ears bleeding and all. <laughs> I know I busted your chops about getting emotional. I know I busted your chops last week about getting emotional. But, like, I couldn't help but, like, you know, have a tear in my eye while I was just sitting on my couch at home, like, during this moment. Because it's been seven long years. And it just, I, I don't think I could have booked it any better. Punk just came out, said his piece. He's now back in professional wrestling. You know, and he just genuinely seemed happy. And just the crowd's reaction was just amazing. Mm. The crowd surfing, just the hugging of, like, you know, half of the front row. Um, just what a moment. <laughs> no, it was insane. I mean, that that energy was there from the moment I walked into the arena. I mean, they were chanting his name pretty much during every single second, except for when Dark was having matches. That's about it. Like, That's everything good. else was just CM Punk chanting the entire time until he came out. I'm glad that they're the, they were at least respectful of the wrestlers yes. when they're ringing. But I'm sure that might have been also the reason why they decided to go first with like him mm -hmm. coming out because that entire entire show would just be CM Punk chance otherwise yes. I would think so <laughs> and that's why everyone's really like tuning in so why you know torment fans at that point so so I know like Chicago wise it was like a nine o'clock start time for Rampage what time did you end up getting there at I personally got there around seven thirty. Uh, so I missed like the first 30 minutes of whatever they were doing there. Probably they there was a little bit of setup and stuff. But yeah, they do a bunch of dark matches. Okay, so they record dark. The actual show dark. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
which I mean that makes sense. So there's a good like two hours before the actual show starts. Then if it starts at seven, mm-hmm. so which is cool. That's good to know too. Like if you're trying to get rampage tickets, because you know it's only an hour long show. So but I exactly. didn't know if they did a lot of recording after the show went off the air. Did they record anything afterwards, or was that no? It, it just really ended with um, everyone that you saw in the ring during the end that end segment, pretty much saying thank you to the crowd. And Tony, of course, came back out and said thank you again. And even at, before the show tony came out to say thank you you know all of your um you know your prayers and stuff have pretty much been answered and you're, you're rewarding you for you know helping us uh and that's just kind of how he came out about it he's very much an awkward little uh wrestling fan though. yes <laughs> that's oh, what yes. he comes off as. <laughs> there's a reason he's not an on-air character so. uh-huh <laughs> but he seems like a great guy regardless yeah yeah absolutely so did you get yourself a shirt, Christian? Uh, unfortunately, no. I wasn't able to get myself a shirt. Uh, my girlfriend was determined for some reason to get a shirt. So she missed the entire show after that segment. You're awful. Standing in line. <laughs> you made your poor girlfriend stand in I line to get you a fucking shirt. So she missed the entire show. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> I told her, you know, it's like, hey, it's okay. We don't need it. And she decided, no, I want to give it, go give it a try. Give me, you know, give me the money and we'll go do it. And I was like, okay. Did she know it was only I, an gonna... hour long show? Yeah, she knew. Oh she knew completely. Because that... those shirts are going for like $300, $400 online. Exactly. It's insane. Like people went crazy. I was like, you know, pro wrestling tees are just going to print these up in, a, you know, another like couple months or something. Uh-huh. You know, once the hype dies down. And, like, you could still get basically the same shirt just without the, you know, I was there on the back of it. So, I mean, you take a good enough Sharpie and you can write that on the back. It's a white shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you get yourself an ice cream wrapper? Oh, yeah. I have an ice cream wrapper. I have two. (laughs) Nice. Are you going to put one of them on mine? Uh, I don't know. I didn't even think to do so until you brought it up. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, people are, are spending a good amount of money just to get that ice cream wrapper. So Jesus. I mean, I mean, hey, I still have my nug- nugget sauce from the Rick and Morty thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have definitely sold that when you had a chance, man. Um, but uh, if I were you, I'd frame one of them and then like sell the other. Like if you got two. Uh huh. Because seriously, people are selling for like a hundred dollars. <laughs> They're just crazy, right? <laughs> yes, like, insane. But that's awesome. The punk actually footed the bill for all that ice cream. Oh, I did not realize. And he went local, like supporting Chicago ice cream, you know, company. So pretty awesome. And they were supposed to be really good. Were they really good? No, they were good bars. Yeah, okay. I mean, for chocolate covered ice cream, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I thought Punk's promo was like pitch perfect. You know, he didn't throw like too much shade towards WWE. Just, you know, talked about like finally being back in professional wrestling. I love that he used, you know, his Ring of Honor, you know, exit date as like when he left professional wrestling. That was really like nicely done. Wasn't like Mm -hmm. too bitter or anything, but I mean, he was just being honest. Uh, and then we found out that Punk will be facing off against Darby in Chicago at All Outs, which, I mean, is a pretty big fucking deal. And I'll be honest, like, I'm a little nervous for the match. 
you know, because <laughs> I feel like there's going to be such a microscope on Punk and his performance. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping that he can bring his A game because, I mean, he hasn't been in the ring for seven years. So you got to think he's got a lot of rust. OK, well, that wasn't the only thing happening this past weekend. We also had WWE's second biggest pay-per-view of the year with SummerSlam. And it was unfortunately a mixed bag. Um, I loved personally the Edge and Rollins match, uh, especially Edge coming out to the old school brood music. Uh-huh. I was a total <laughs> fucking mark. I popped big for that. I'm really happy that Rollins has seemingly put the whole Messiah, you know, gimmick to bed. And now he's just playing like a Batman villain. For some reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> I got, I'm totally cool with that. Um, but it was a really well done match against two guys we never thought we'd see face off. So I was excited for it and it definitely lived up to the hype. I mean, I wasn't expecting to see a glam slam in the match. I thought that was awesome. And there's just a lot of great little moments here and there throughout the entire experience. And and, and if I have to say, well, this is a dumb thing to say anyway, but um, <laughs> one of my favorite promo packages, I guess, from WWE in the most recent while, because just seeing the, the true parallels between these two guys and their careers, I never, I guess, didn't put that all together until I saw that. Well, it was a really good moment. I'm, I have a feeling that Edge has a lot of creative control over all of his like storylines so i'm sh- mm. i'm gonna give the credit to edge regardless <laughs> <laughs> but like you mentioned with the glam slam that's another like example of edges like nuanced storytelling you know mm. in his matches because rollins at one point was talking shit about that phoenix so that's why you know that move was in that match so you know it's those little touches that edge always does that you know elevates his matches but with the good comes the bad you know, on this night, we had the return of Becky Lynch, which should just be a huge moment, in my opinion. Uh, yes. But of course, WWE finds a way to fuck it all up. And that was by just completely burying one of their biggest, youngest, brightest stars in Bianca Belair. Um, you know, and having her lose an impromptu challenge, you know, from Becky in less than 30 seconds, you know, after being like booked so strong you know during her title reign uh now apparently part of the story is becky is like coming back as a heel i don't know if you've seen this um she's actually requested this which is fine but i don't think you can like return as a heel right off the bat you know especially being as big of a star as becky like that needs to be like a slow burn like storyline and it can't be to the detriment of bianca because that did nothing for her you know nothing at all because there wasn't even like it'd be one thing if like becky cheated to win here but she didn't she just caught her with one move and and got the pin so it just made bianca feel lesser than you know and once again it goes back to WWE not being able to build baby faces. No, I was extremely disappointed, not only in this uh, women's match, but also in the triple threat as well. But just because it was making Charlotte look like a fucking Super Saiyan for half of it. You know, she really? was just beating up the other two women too much. Yeah, there's too many moments where she looked like she was completely outpowering. I don't hate Charlotte to that degree. I don't I think know, man. You can book a good I, match around it. I thought that was a good match. I thought that was, I was fine with that match. I thought Rhea got her spots in. I think even Nikki got her spots in. Like, I hate the way that, you know, they booked the build-up to the match. But the match itself, I thought, was fine. Because I thought Nikki got to shine. Um, You know, I just hate that 
Yeah. I just hate her fucking gimmick. What it boils down to. <laughs> and, I mean, the audience kind of hates it, too. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, after I saw this, and this is totally not where they're going to go with it, I was hoping that, you know, she had a Breaking Bad moment. And she would, like, revert back to her original, like, <laughs> her original NXT character. Uh-huh. You know, where, you know, she played the hero, and now she's going supervillain. You know, and she just becomes this fucking monster. You know, and you could even, you know, play with, like, the whole Alexa Bliss dynamic. Now you've had these two who were sipping coffee and their little, like, talk show. Now they're both completely insane. Like, I, I don't know. I think it'd be a fun dynamic to play with. Yet, for some reason, WWE just refuses to let many of the women wrestlers have characters still. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Charlotte hit that twisting moonsault on the outside, which was just fucking amazing. I, but I thought Rhea, you know, looked like a superstar too in the match. Um, but I, I don't know. That's, that's just me to each his own. <laughs> you know, some of us don't hate Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate Charlotte. Uh, I just think there's definitely been better matches with her. Uh, uh, either way, uh, back to Bianca, though, just getting taken out with one move. Do, are, I, do you feel like she'll get lost after this? Like they, they are going to forget about her or we're we just going to get like a short story with her and Becky? No, I think most likely they're going to work a, a longer program. And that's how Becky is going to turn heel completely. Um, okay. You know, until hopefully, you know, it ends with Bianca eventually being able to overcome her. The problem is with turning Becky heel is we've seen them try this already and she's just so over that it's going against the grain and that the crowd ends up cheering her no matter what. So they're going to have to seriously tweak her character and she can't be this badass heel. She's got to be a cowardly heel, you know, someone that the crowd just can't get behind no matter what. It really just feels like WWE, like, cutting off their nose to spite their face. They only have a handful of, like, over superstars in the company. And Becky's one of them. So mm. why turn her heel now? You know, especially when it comes to baby faces. You know, I would argue that Becky's probably their biggest baby face. You know, and Bianca was, like, you know, rising to that level. But now you kind of put a stop to that by, you know, pulling shit like this and having her mm. lose in 20 seconds um i don't know i just don't get it um i feel like there was definitely a better way to you know play this moment i don't like the fact that they were false advertising sasha being there up to like the last moment when they knew that she wasn't going to be there because what if you were a fan and the only reason you bought a ticket was to see sasha you know that's bullshit because all week long we're hearing that she wasn't going to be there and then lo and behold she wasn't there so you need to at least give fans a chance to get a refund if that's why they were going to the show. Um, you know, but like you could have started this storyline at SummerSlam, you know, have them do a face off or have them start a match and have Carmella interfere. Because that's what I thought was going to happen when Becky threw out Carmella and took her out. Mm-hmm. And then they started the match. I was like, oh, Carmella is going to get involved. And then they're just going to tease a match for later on down the line. That's not perfect, but it's not beating Bianca in 20 seconds. (laughs) So I, you know, or just have them do a face off. The crowd, I think would have been fine with that. You know, have Bianca beat Carmella again for the like 30th time, you know, it's like, you know, a couple (laughs) minutes and then have Becky show up and the crowd would forgive everything. And no pun intended, but what it reminds me of is when they tried to turn Stone Cold babyface, you know, at, at his height, like that backfired huge on them. 
You know, he was, you know, one of their top draws. And then all of a sudden at WrestleMania, he personally wanted to turn heel. McMahon went ahead and let him turn heel um, just because, you know, he felt like he owed him so much. And what happened was we got a great character out of it. And I mean, Stone Cold was fantastic as a heel, but no one wanted to see it. So people were still cheering him throughout the entire time. And then mm-hmm. a lot of viewers actually ended up turning off the show. So they, they lost a big part of their audience um, because they didn't have a top babyface to go up against him. That was the problem. The Rock gotcha. left mm-hmm. like that week after, you know, their match. So there was no reckoning for Stone Cold. So it, it just didn't work. I mean, I totally understand Becky wanting to be heel. I mean, that seems to be the role that everyone enjoys the most, you know, in wrestling. Uh-huh. But at the same time, there has to be the right time and the right place for it. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of like when they tried to bring back Seth Rollins and he wanted to, or at least they started him off as heel. They had to struggle his way back through until he was a heel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's ridiculous to do a heel turn like this and sacrifice one of your biggest upcoming superstars. Because honestly, over the last four months, that is definitely Bianca. So mm-hmm. I, I don't understand what they were thinking here. And hopefully they're able to redeem this and, you know, move on. We get a, a compelling story and, you know, Bianca gets elevated to that next level. But this is just off to a rough start. But let's move on and talk something a little more positive. I enjoyed the Cena Roman match. Um, I just mm-hmm. thought it was great storytelling. I love that Cena was fighting underneath the entire time. I thought it, I thought it was a great way to like make Roman look even stronger with Cena constantly trying to have to catch him with a quick roll up. It was something that Cena was teasing uh, throughout their promos together. You know, all I need is three seconds. You know, you making one mistake and your entire reign is over with. Um, you know, I, I love that Cena was never able to like seriously gain momentum here because why should he like, this is how I feel like a part-timer should be treated, you know, in the WWE, yes. like he shouldn't be able to just come out of the gates and be Superman all over again. Like Cena hasn't wrestled in two years, you know, and he's going to get like your biggest superstar right now. So of course he should be overpowered and overwhelmed. Uh, but they were able to tell a great story and put on a real compelling match. I did enjoy the match as well. Um, I just need a mute button for Pat McAfee because uh, he <laughs> just keeps going on and on with these references I don't care about. Really? Yes, it's he's a little he, he's, obnoxious. A lot of people like him, but no, I agree. Mm, he makes me feel old. That's that's the thing. It's just like he makes me feel like I'm I'm in my fifties listening to some young kids sp- like yeah. spill out all the biggest references at all times. And the thing is, he's got to be at least like 10, 15 years older than you. So yeah, <laughs> Are you said he's a little too hip for your liking, Christian. It's a little too forced hip, at yeah. least, yes. for my liking. Yes, with his tuxedo shorts. Yeah, I can't handle uh-huh. that <laughs> <laughs> I do love him marking out for Shinsuke. You know, I, I don't uh-huh. mind that. There's what there's this one image of him literally sitting on top of, like, Michael Cole's, like, shoulders when uh, Shinsuke is coming out. And here, th- okay, this, this whole card was so weirdly paced. They had Shinsuke come out and do an intro for nothing like he did yeah he didn't wrestle like it was so weird i, I was very confused on what was going on yeah i was like did i miss something i thought my fucking like uh like the peacock network skipped 
or something. So I was trying to rewind, and I hate the Peacock Network. That's a whole nother thing. Uh-huh. Um, it's still not very user-friendly for me. Uh, I don't know if yours is more updated now, but I don't know. Mine is still struggling. Like, I was able to pause. That was awesome, but I don't know. That's neither here nor there. But yeah, the match itself, good time. I, I definitely, I agree with you. This is how you're supposed to book, you know, someone coming back like John Cena, you know, just getting his ass kicked for a good uh, 30 minutes. I can I can get behind that. Yeah, a part-timer <laughs> actually putting over, you know, your current roster. Yes. Yeah, you know, right? That's, that's huge. But speaking of which, <laughs> after this match, all of a sudden, we had Brock Lesnar's music hit. Uh, now... I had a feeling that there's going to be some counter-programming done on the WWE's part this weekend. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of... But that was more of me thinking that maybe they'd actually let Cena, like, win the belt. You know, and then, you know, the whole narrative of the weekend turns into, like, you know, Cena being the greatest of all time. He gets his 17th title win, um, especially with, like, Flair just, like, you know, unceremoniously leaving the company. Um, you know, I know Vince can be pretty spiteful, so it just felt like the perfect storm there. Um, and I'm glad that didn't happen because I mean, why, you know, ruin Roman's momentum right now, but instead we get the return of a baby face Brock Lesnar, (laughs) literally like shaking hands in the crowd, man, butt and all, like, I just, I don't know what was happening. Um, I have a feeling we're going to eventually get like a Heyman on a pole match. Um, (laughs) I am interested in the storyline. It's something that we thought was going to be coming sooner than later. But honestly, I thought it would be done to facilitate Roman's uh, babyface turn where you could have like Heyman turn on Roman by bringing back Lesnar. And then, you know, Roman becomes the de facto babyface. That doesn't seem to be the case, and I'm hoping that isn't the case because it feels like they're still mm-hmm. building towards that, like, Rock vs. Roman WrestleMania match um, eventually. But, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's going to be at least interesting storyline-wise, but it did feel, like, a little cheap on WWE's part. You know, like, of course, they're going to have Lesnar return on this weekend. I mean, it is SummerSlam, so maybe it, maybe it was a coincidence, but it just felt like they were trying to, like, change this weekend's headlines mm-hmm. uh, i'm seeing a, a large collective of people being starting this joke now of like who is roman going to face each month like what returning superstar is going to come up against for each month until he goes up against uh the big one the rock well and the you truth know? is like they haven't done enough to build any of their current roster to yeah. feel like worthy contenders against roman so i mean now that now it feels like they have to go, you know, to these part-timers. Now it feels like they need to go to these part-timers to find a compelling match. And that's just a corner the WWE has painted themselves into by going to the well one time too often. It's like if Brock didn't show up this week, who would he go go up against again? Because I'm like, would it be Kevin Owens? Would it be, you know, Maybe. Edge? Because he just had a big win. Like, yeah, I don't want it, but they, I feel like that feud just took place, right? Yeah, was just a month ago. So maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Kevin Owens, but I, I don't even know what Kevin Owens is up to <laughs> right now. <laughs> I, I did I enjoy the program that they worked, but mm-hmm. you know, I feel like they're just trying to find what ways to tread water until they get to Mania, um, because they don't have any legitimate like contenders for Roman. 
Uh, Brock will be an interesting storyline and everything with Heyman involved. Um, but, I mean, how far can you stretch that? You know, I'm, I'm sure you could get maybe a couple months out of that. Now, the draft is supposed to be taking place soon. So, I mean, that way you get kind of some, like, new fresh faces for Roman to go up against. I could see a feud with, like, Drew maybe happening. But mm-hmm. we'll see. I feel like I could see them turning Seth Rollins by Survivor Series. Maybe. If they wanted to make him face again. Like I said, I'm, I'm enjoying the cackling villain right now. So Yeah. <laughs> but that's just me. Oh, you know what? One last thing I totally forgot about. Lashley versus Goldberg. What a train wreck. I was terrified the entire time for Lashley. Like, I was like, <laughs> Goldberg is going to fucking hurt him. Like, some of those spots. Uh-huh. I was like, Jesus Christ. It just, it literally looked like a fucking car accident. So, uh, <laughs> it just made me sick to my stomach. Once they did this, the ref stoppage, I was like, oh, God damn it. This is going to continue. And sure oh, enough, yeah. when the sun jumped on Lashley's back, <laughs> who's, I think, like, an actual, like, 15-year-old, um, Lashley puts on the fucking full Nelson. I'm like, oh, no, this is definitely going to Saudi Arabia. And sure enough, that's the big rumor now that that's going to be the Saudi gotcha. Arabia. So. Should have hit him with the chair. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned for Lashley because I just don't see Goldberg not getting revenge here. Mm-hmm. Well, he he said it right there. I'm going to kill you. Yes, like it was his I'm, last words. I'm scared that he's going to lose the title oh, to Goldberg okay. at, in, in Saudi Arabia, and maybe that will just be like a a month long title reign for Goldberg. But I just don't see them letting Goldberg lose face like this like have lashley beat up a son in front of him and then lose another match to him you know mm-hmm. after a ref stoppage too i don't know man i i feel like this is bad news for lashley here i mean i'll be cheering him on the next match though for oh, sure god and so was the entire fucking audience <laughs> no one I loved it no one wants to see goldberg anymore no you know and that, i mean it's not honestly his fault it's because wwe keeps on trying to shove him down our throats for the last three years after he had the mm-hmm. one successful fucking you know program with lesnar they keep on going back to him like every year and at this point like his character is so watered down Everyone's just over it. And people actually genuinely like Lashley. You know, he's kind of like this monster heel that people can get behind because he feels Mm -hmm. real. Um, So I would just hate to see them put the belts around Goldberg and hurt, like, you know, Lashley's run. Uh, There's a lot of people out there that are excited for the potential, which I don't think will actually happen, but the potential of Brock Lesnar being around now with um, with Lashley as champion as well. I mean... I could see that. They could always turn to that after the Lesnar Reigns program. Um, I just don't see Brock sticking around long enough for that. Brock is going to be on this week's SmackDown. We're recording this on Wednesday, so um, we have no idea what happened. Uh, but it, it does feel like that's going to continue. That whole program is going to continue on um, SmackDown. Because I was wondering, okay, are they just teasing this? And they're going to put this off until, you know, the next big pay-per-view event, like Survivor Series or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like they're going to that program right away. It just feels weird for it to be like an Extreme Rules match, right? Because that's the next pay-per-view. Yeah. So we'll see. Because otherwise, like, who the hell else, like you were saying, is going to be going up against Roman? <laughs> And we know it's not Cena. Like, he already said goodbye. 
I remember when they were pushing Nakamura for like two seconds there, and I thought, you know, he has the IC Nakamura title. would have a chance. He has the IC title, yeah. but he could eventually get like a pay per view, you know, with him. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a one and done, just like Cesaro. Yeah. You know, and I don't even know. Like I said, I haven't been watching the shows religiously, which is sad to say because I'm a person just two years ago who would watch every fucking Raw, every SmackDown for decades, not just years, decades. And just with, you know, the way they booked both shows over the last couple of years, I just can't invest the time anymore. Like they've turned me that off as a fan, mm-hmm. which I mean, I was probably one of the most dedicated. Um, so I don't know. Like, so I, this isn't me like enjoying taking a shit on WWE. I want to love these shows. I just can't, you know, as a serious wrestling fan, you know, I have to call the way I see them, you know, and you know, the majority of the show right now just isn't working. Well, let's move on to something even more depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, lastly, we had one of the better takeover shows in recent history, but regardless of how good it was, it still felt like awake to me. Um, after watching Nick Khan's interview discussing the new direction of NXT. I mean, first of all, I can't fathom like making the decision of having this interview air before TakeOver. <laughs> because talk about deflating. I mean, for the fans, for the wrestlers, like basically everything we heard is true. Like WWE is going younger, bigger. I mean... He said that they have enough talent or indie talent already in the system that they want to start looking elsewhere for recruitment, which means probably more football players, fitness models Mm -hmm. and bodybuilders like (laughs) who most likely don't have a real passion for the business. Uh, You know, so Vince can mold into like, you know, his perception of what a real wrestler should be. It literally feels like Vince and Pritchard and Laurinaitis are like jumping into the DeLorean and trying to take the company back to 1985. Like, it's just so disappointing and a real just end of an error. I mean, at one time, like NXT was the hottest thing going on in wrestling and they managed to fuck it all up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have to point to when they decided to like, you know, move the show to Wednesday nights to hurt, you know, Dynamite. Because once they didn't accomplish their goal and Vince was embarrassed, that put NXT in their crosshairs, you know, and now he's just taking the whole thing apart and the experiment's over. Hey, just just a year and a half ago, two years ago, they're pushing as a third brand. And now it's just back to being a developmental system. I mean, did you see the fucking getup they put Karrion Cross in? This past Monday, <laughs> I felt I'm, so bad for him. I was like, oh, what are you doing? It was horrible. I immediately shot you a text because I was just like, what is going on in this company? I just didn't understand. And I, of course, wasn't watching. So I was like, who is uh-huh. this? <laughs> and I totally got a flashback to Farouk in his gladiator outfit when he did you, which was horrible. You know, uh, but yeah, my God, you know, you have Farouk who's coming in. You know, the former Ron Simmons, they just have to change his name because that's what WWE does. You know, uh-huh. who's this, like, the first time ever African-American NWA world champion? And instead of just pushing the man 
on his laurels and for, you know, the history he has as being one of the biggest fucking college football stars of all time. They decide to put him in this ridiculous getup just because Vince has to have his fucking fingerprints on everything. And this mm-hmm. feels like more of the same. That and punishment, you know, because NXT lost this fucking imaginary war that Vince had going on in his mind against AEW. Um, it's just unfortunate and just total fucking bullshit. Um, but I'm done ranting. let's talk about the positives here uh walter versus dragonoff just an instant classic it might have been better than the first match um watching fucking walter actually tap out was amazing and dragonoff's like reaction to it i mean just felt real it's just i mean everything you expected more brutal hard-hitting it just a beautiful display of what professional wrestling should be like. And unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to see that from WWE yeah. like moving forward <laughs> anytime soon. Uh, then we also had Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Um, it was just a nice way to put a bow on their feud, especially if Adam Cole is moving on. Um the program itself went a little too long for my taste, but I think that's because they just had no clue of Adam Cole's status, I'm guessing. You know, and at this point, who does? <laughs> There's been a lot of teases going back and forth, some by AEW, some from Adam Cole himself. I, I guess like 30 minutes before Raw started, he posted a gif of himself on Twitter just saying Adam Cole, baby. So people were starting to speculate that he was going to show up on Raw. That didn't happen. Thankfully, because <laughs> he'd, prob- he'd probably be like carrying Cross's little like gladiator buddy or something. You know, he'd be the uh-huh. guy who carries helmet, I'm sure. Uh- <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we should know his future sooner than later, though. Uh, Cole does not have a 30 day like no compete clause like other exactly NXT, like other NXT like, you know, wrestlers. But honestly, like if he ends up, you know, with WWE or, you know, AEW, I wouldn't be surprised like either way because i could see wwe offering him a huge contract just out of spite to keep him away from AEW, um and just to save face since they are losing so many talent and so much of the talent are showing up on dynamite right now Uh um you know it feels like they'd want to keep him just for the optics of it all uh but and we do know that cole is like a huge fan of wwe and you know his idols growing up were Triple H and Shawn Michaels. But it just feels like they're moving in the exact opposite direction of, you know, the kind of wrestler Cole is. But in situations like this, money does talk. And I mean, you know, I totally get it. And I, I wouldn't blame him either way. I just think for, you know, the artist side of him that he'd want to head over to. If he, if he were to show up at AEW, he could literally pull the exact same promo that Punk did and just be like, I died, you uh-huh. know, 10 years ago. But you know <laughs> what? I, he, I, the thing is, though, like, he got to basically do what he wanted to do in NXT. Oh, yeah. It's mm-hmm. more of just the potential of him moving up to the main roster that would scare him off. Where Punk had to eat a lot of shit. (laughs) You know, I think Cole got to put on the matches that he wanted to put on. Yes. But, you know, just had he has to be terrified of what, you know, a move to the main roster would be for him right now. Especially after seeing them botch so many other wrestlers at this point. Hmm. Wrestlers who I feel like are more, you know, 
cut out of the mold that Vince likes. I mean, look at what they've done with Keith Lee and Kieran Cross. I mean, enough said, right? Hmm. And this is my weekly free ricochet uh, moment on the show. So free ricochet, please. <laughs> I mean, and speaking of money talking, though, I mean, the cons still they have the bigger uh, wallet here <laughs> if they really wanted to bring him in. But Punk just bring, being brought on the show, yes. I think, is is probably already the budget's blown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, the con family does have more money than the McMahon's, but... That's the Khan family, not Tony Khan himself. I'm sure uh-huh. he's on an actual like budget that he has to like, you know, consider. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, this isn't like an ATM, you know, situation. So, but anyway, it was one of the bigger weeks. You know, I can recently remember in wrestling. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting things on the horizon, it seems like. Um, and I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about next week. Exactly. I mean, we're only a week out from All Out as well. So we're on the road. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, David, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, we'll have a film review for Candyman, and we'll also be talking the fourth episode of Marvel's What If. And we'll be talking wrestling, of course. Everything that's going on with AEW and WWE, maybe. <laughs> that's a big maybe buddy. that's a big maybe <laughs> alright my name's Christian and my name's David and that was the amazing nerd show there are multiple realities Peter this is earth dimension 616 I'm from earth 833 I'm sorry you're saying there's a multiverse <laughs>